everybody to wrestling recommendations episode 66 i am your host eddie shepherd along with uh the still in north carolina travis laster who is in the middle of a fucking monsoon right now dude i think you're getting all the rain that we had earlier yeah. because it rained all damn day today there's flooding real bad in gatlinburg it's awful yeah it is fucking raining right now um pretty hard some of the hardest we've had but it's rained off and on all day like i work for a propane company and we had our trucks off the road by um 3 30 today it started you know get, started picking up around 2 2 30 so yeah we um we had everybody off the road got them home safe but it's been a wet dreary day I, I got soaked from head to toe having to work outside and stuff i cannot wait to get back home sit down in front of my computer and i have to walk out and help people in the rain well, that sounds like it was boring. My car messed up today. It was weird. We just got our other car fixed. Pain in the ass. Um, but on the bright side, Travis, right before we hopped on here, you got filled in with what's going on on wrestling Twitter right now. And it is fucking amazing. It's um, it's crazy to see Tony Khan's latest meltdown and the fact that Eric Bischoff has jumped in on him. Uh, Jenner Mahal as well. USA Network. <laughs> Fox. Fox jumped in on Tony Khan as well with the Jaguars thing. I said that to everybody because I am a Houston Texans fan and fuck the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, they lost the division. If it's not the Colts that won the division, I'm glad it was the Texans. That's how I the, look at it. The Jags lost the division, did not make the playoffs, and they had tweeted out, um, get your playoff tickets here. And Fox Sports did the Kurt Angle like, really? Really little gif meme, and uh, it's it was hilarious. And then apparently that has made Tony Khan into a huge man baby yet again about something. And to celebrate, I have on my Tony Khan t or shirt. Uh, his eyes are not, row, baby. not lustful this week. They are very, like, groundbreakingly angry. So really quick, talk more about this Twitter beef. Really, it's, it's actually been hilarious. So after that had happened, um, they've kind of been going back and forth. Eric Bischoff and uh, Tony Khan have been going back and forth. It's been fucking amazing. Uh, I personally love Eric Bischoff. We've had Eric Bischoff at NGW. I got to hang out with him and talk to him. Fantastic dude. I like him a lot. However, uh, the whole beef started with um, Tony Khan saying it was a double standard. That people were complaining that Hook was getting a title shot and it says he was 28 and one uh, career record on a winning streak calls out the champ, a logical challenge sparks online outrage. Jinder Mahal has literally lost every single match he's in for the past year. Immediately gets title shot. Where's the rage? Tony Khan, get off of social fucking media. You're not stirring things in the positive way for yourself. Like you think you are dude. And it makes you look more like a, a just a fucking child having to explain your angles. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah, Hook's 28 and 1, but who's he fucking beat? Sorry. You can jobber. Marshall. I mean, everyone can beat a jobber um, or beat fucking Jungle Boy or something like that or Jungle Jackoff, as I like to call him. 
But, um, I mean, do I agree that gender should be getting a world title shot? But guess what? At this point, gender's just a glorified jobber. It's something for Seth Rollins to do until he gets to the Rumble. Like, he's a former world champion. They have a history. Um, he's also a friend of Drew McIntyre's in real life. So it kind of fucking makes sense, man. Like, am I defending? Do I think Jinder Mahal is going to beat Seth Rollins no, for the world heavyweight no. title? No, and no one is, should think that. This is We are almost two weeks away from the Royal Rumble. This is, is filler to get us to the Rumble. Yeah, it's a stopgap filler match um, just, and to put a world title on it. It's no different than these fucking world title eliminator fucking matches and all this shit that AEW does. Uh, where if you beat the champion, you get a title shot. How many times did the jobber ever beat the champion on fucking AEW? None. Also, what happened to AEW's fucking standing system that was supposed to be so big a deal that that was going to be determining your next challenger? That fucking is non-existent anymore. So why even keep up with records? Like, it doesn't fucking make sense, Tony. Quit fucking booking in your backyard in your fucking padded fucking childhood jerk off room and just fucking book wrestling records don't fucking matter in wrestling it's just a fucking other thing you're trying to do that no one is paying attention to and you've honestly don't pay attention to it because you don't even use it in your standing system anymore which you don't even fucking have so what's the point of keeping up with records i don't think he realized that it's a work brother it doesn't matter it's, it's still real to brother. him damn it Still real to him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate, I hate Eric Bishop. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. Uh, really quick. So I'm going to go on really quick. So Raj Gurry um, says, these guys do have history. Seth Rollins defeated Jinder Mahal in the tournament finals to become the first NXT champion, which is true. And then USA Network chimes in, what was the cage match rating? And I popped, and I thought it was the most hilarious thing I've read all day. Dude, it's just so much. It's like everyone's piling on this guy. And it's even more hilarious. It's, it's, I just, I don't understand it, man. Like you're the butt of the joke and, and the more you fight it and the more you try to make your logic or reasoning work makes you look more like a fucking clown or joke. So the best thing to do and anybody that is a real business person would do is just ignore it or make an offhanded funny comment on TV Half the people that watch your show or over half the people that watch your show don't have a fucking Twitter because if they did, if they retweeted that one time a week, they, you might would get some more ratings, but guess what? You're not. No, dude, it has been amazing. And then the funniest thing of all is Jinder Mahal chimes in and goes, who the fuck is hook? <laughs> watch Raw on Monday. Oh, on I'm USA sorry. Network. Am I also supposed to believe that Griff Garrison can beat Adam Copeland? Fuck. No, I'm not. So why the fuck is that match happening? Yeah, what this this weird episode of Dynamite that they have airing, we're, we're recording on Tuesday uh, as all this stuff is happening. On Wednesday uh, is Dynamite. They're doing like weird eight-man tag matches that have no fucking rhyme or reason. I don't understand it. It's because like they're just putting as many people on TV as they fucking can. Like they're not... <laughs> to me, man, it makes no sense. Like why... It's just they don't know what to book, so they're just throwing everything out there, and it doesn't fucking matter. Like half these people won't be on the show for another six months. I agree. Well, guys, if you uh, like our AEW talk, definitely go back and uh, listen and watch last week's episode uh, as we talked about Swerve Strickland and Hangman Page's bloody brutal battle. 
Um, but this week, Travis, we're going to go back in time. We're actually going to go back to 1987 as two of the greatest tag teams in wrestling history take on one another. And uh, one of the many matches they had, the Midnight Express versus the Rock and Roll Express from the Great American Bash Tour. This one was kind of a hard one to find. Yeah, and th- trust us, um, apparently there's a ton of these matches, but they are not recorded because they wrestle each other a lot on the tour. Um but anytime you put the Midnight and the Rock and Roll Express in the ring together, it's going to be good. And this match is no different. Tag team wrestling at its finest. I love 80s tag team wrestling. We're going to talk more about like the, 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 the tag teams of 87 around this time period. Um, but we've already covered the Midnight Express on episode 48 when they faced off uh, against the Wild-Eyed Southern Boys from Great American Bash 90, which took place three years after this. And we also covered the Rock and Roll Express on episode 27 as they faced off against Ole and Arn Anderson from Starcade 86. So we've already talked about both tag teams. So I wanted to dive right on into the Great American Bash, Travis. The Great American Bash was invented by Death Rose, baby. In 1985, while he was still wrestling and booker of NWA's Jim Crockett Promotions. The first Great American Bash event was held by JCP on July 6th in 1985 in Charlotte, North Carolina, with the event including a one-hour-long performance from David Allen Coe. I think it's pretty famous, Travis. Isn't there video of Dusty on stage singing with David Allen Coe? There is. Like, even on the, I think it's the WWE, the uh, United We Slam, uh, the great best of the Great American Bash. It's like part of the highlight thing. It shows Dusty out there singing with him. Um, also, David Allen Coe, not super P- PC in today's world, brother. <laughs> Just going to say that. No. No, she got run over no. by a damn train. train. And I'll hang I'm, sh- I'm sure our Al- Australian fans will love that one. <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, man, when we be out at the bar, we live in Tennessee, man. When we be out at the bar, that song would pop on. Good shit. Good shit. Oh, man. Uh, that event was highlighted by Ric Flair versus Nikita Koloff for the NWA Heavyweight Championship and Dusty Rhodes versus Tully Blanchard, of course, in the main event in a steel cage match for the NWA Television Championship. The following year, in 1986, there were a total of 13 shows held under the Great American Bash Tour, and NWA World Champion Ric Flair defended his title at each one of those 13 events, taking on Ricky Morton, Road Warrior Hawk, and Animal, Ronnie Garvin, Nikita Koloff, Robert Gibson, Magnum TA, Wahoo McDaniel, and Dusty Rhodes. The match against Ricky Morton is in the cage, and it is on our list, thanks to our good buddy, Brandon. Yes, Brandon, a huge aficionado of NWA. It's it's um, it's one of his favorite eras of wrestling, if not the most, his most favorite era of wrestling, which also, if you ever send Brandon an email his name, or you play PlayStation with him, his name is Lana Mania. So he's a huge Hulkamaniac too. So it's like one opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, and Brandon, I know Brandon is probably just a Hulkamania fan because he's trying to hide his Canadian heritage and pull forward the red blood of American that is Hulk Hogan brother. But, you know, um, opposite is the spectrum there, but he loves NWA. Like he was even on our episode with uh, Barry Windham and Ric Flair. It was, I think, Battle of the Belts too. Um, but it's, you know, he he did add a lot of NWA to this list, and I commend him for it because it's matches that um, we either hadn't thought of or just hadn't thought of getting on the list yet. So 
Brandon, Brandon definitely bringing the foul power for the NWA there. Yeah, a lot of these older matches, I believe the uh, Texas Death match, the UWF match, he also suggested, and he also suggested the uh, Nick Bockwinkle Kurt Henning match. And that match is actually the second most downloaded episode of our podcast. That's right. Also, update right quick. I was uh, scrolling uh, this Twitter war, and uh, apparently Tony Khan said, reading would be your friend, Eric. And he said, oh, kid, my reading comprehension skills are wizard-like. By the way, that was one of Dave Meltzer's wicked comebacks whenever he used to get called out on his BS. Coincidence, are you really that deep? (laughs) Dude, I fucking love wrestling Twitter. It's amazing. I'll be honest with you. There's been some... Go ahead. Eric Bischoff gives no fucks, and it's great. I fucking love it. I love it. He has nothing to lose, man. I fucking love it. The thing, uh, I think, because for years, running wrestling, like wrestling shows with Cody, with NGW, um, we always got into some kind of beef with somebody for no fucking reason. Like, I remember we booked, um, was it Ultimo, the time we booked Ultimo Dragon versus... uh, Ray Phoenix, and they were like, why would you book name a name versus a name and shit like that? And we're like, because it's it's drawing people in. Why would we not do that? Of course, we have other guys, too, local guys on the undercard, but that's what's bringing the people in. Why is it so hard? But we used to get into these fucking wars all the time. And the past few years, I think after COVID, uh, it's all kind of died down, and um, it's a little bit better. But, man, these wrestling uh, Twitter wars right now, it's fucking amazing. Yeah, sorry, sorry to uh, jump in there with that, but I just thought that was fucking hilarious because <laughs> it's just, oh man, it, it's it's great and like a lot of it's jealousy. Don't get don't get me wrong, like fucking Tony, it eats at Tony Khan's soul that he knows Jinder Mahal and this Seth Rollins match is going to pull more than his star-studded uh, AEW show or what he considers star-studded AEW show. I agree with that. So on that same tour in 1986, Travis, Dusty Rhodes defeated Ric Flair for the title at the July 26th day of the event uh, of the tour. Nikita Koloff and Magnum TA were involved in a best of seven title match series throughout the bash for the U.S. title. We watched some, I think we watched some of those matches randomly. Or I remember some of those popped up, but I remember watching some of those. Yeah. In the night. In the 1987 Great American Bash Tour, there would be 26 shows on this tour and would feature the first incarnation of War Games, which would see the Road Warriors, Nikita Koloff, Dusty Rhodes, and Paul Ellering taking on Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Lex Luger, Tully Blanchard, and J.J. Dillon. J.J. J.J., you yellow dog. <laughs> and the Monkey Brothers. <laughs> I actually Monkey showed Brother. my boss that. Shout out to my boss. He uh, he did... Uh, he started listening to the podcast that we were. I showed him that clip of Dusty Rhodes doing the prank phone calls. And he says, The Monkey Brothers, Moondog Spot, Moondog Rex, and the Monkey Brothers. But that's what kind of leads us in. So this tour, this tour is already going on. Um, so let's talk about the NWA US Tag Team Championships, Travis. In 1986, NWA president and Jim Crockett promotions owner, Jim Crockett Jr., introduced the tag team championships to replace the NWA Mid-Atlantic and Georgia national titles under the new name, the NWA United States Tag Team Championships. By announcing a tournament for the newly created title, which was won by Crusher Khrushchev and Ivan Koloff on September 28, 1986, the Midnight Express would win the U.S. tag titles on May 16, 1987 in a tournament defeating Barry Windham and Ron Garvin in the finals. However, so right now, Midnight Express have the U.S. tag titles. 
the NWA World Tag Team Championships. The original NWA tag titles were won by the Minnesota Wrecking Crew of Gene and Ole Anderson on January 29, 1975, in a fictitious tournament said to be held in San Francisco, California. Rio de Janeiro? Rio de Janeiro, baby. Uh, On a TV taping in Raleigh, North Carolina, Mm. the Andersons were said to be headed to San Francisco to participate in a tournament to crown the new NWA World Tag Team Champions. The Andersons appeared on the the next week's television tapings with the title belts. Uh, The Rock and Roll Express, team on the other side here, Won the tag titles on May 26, 1987 in a phantom match in Spokane, Washington, claiming to have defeated Manny Fernandez and Ivan Koloff, who was substituting for Manny's original partner, Ravishing Rick Rude, who had just left for the WWF. An earlier match against Rude and Fernandez was shown on TV to explain the title change. Hmm. Wow, they could do this. A little creative editing uh, back before the internet existed, so they kind of did what they wanted. Also, Minnesota Wrecking Crew was probably wrecking that puss in San Francisco. I'm not going to lie. Except for Gene. <laughs> Gene, Gene, Gene looked like a th- word of the three stooges. It's fun. <laughs> I wish you could have seen my face. Like all the other, I wish people somebody said that. I was like, well, what? Oh, man. Uh, go back and listen to that episode with uh, Oli and Arn because uh, we, we don't have a whole lot of Oli matches on here. He was kind of an old prick, and I, I kind of like it, and I kind of don't like him. So, um, he still, he's, every time I think of, of Oli, I just think of him saying that Undertaker would never draw a dime and what a dumb fuck. So, <laughs> this all leads to night two of the Great American Bash Tour. The show, this show took place on January, or excuse me, July 2nd, 1987 at the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland in front of 15,000 fans. Some of these matches are fucking bad. I'm not going to lie to you. Kendall Wyndham defeats Thunderfoot 1. Rocky <laughs> King defeats Thunderfoot 2. The fabulous Freebirds of Buddy Roberts and Terry Bam Bam Gordy with Michael Hayes in their corner defeated Ivan Koloff and Paul Jones. Dick Oof. Murdoch with Eddie Gilbert defeated Dr. Death Steve Williams in a Texas death match. For the UWF Heavyweight Championship in a Louisville street fight, Big Bubba Rogers defeats Larry, or excuse me, Barry Wyndham by countout. It is a street fight. He loses by countout. Uh, that makes no sense whatsoever, but uh, kind of sounds like some WCW booking, brother. A little bit. UWF TV title match. Eddie Gilbert with Dick Murdoch defeated Mark Fleming. We were to get the NWA World Tag Title match as champions, the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky and Robert, take on the U.S. Tag Team Champions, the Midnight Express of Bobby Eaton and Sweet Stan Lane. Still the best incarnation. We'll talk about it during the match. And then the main event was an eight-man tag team steel cage match. Dusty, Nikita, and the Road Warriors defeated the four horsemen of Arn Anderson, Lex Luger, Flair, and Tully with Dark Journey and J.J. Dillon in their corner. That's a hell of a combo right there. Dark Journey, baby. No Dark Journey was uh, going down that uh, Hershey Highway with Flair, probably. Baby's arm. You're you're probably right. Uh, You're probably right. Also, also, what was the cage match rating on that Fleming match, man? I'm pretty sure that was uh, probably up through the roof. Uh, There were not enough uh, votes. (laughs) 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 The footage probably does exist out there. I mean, it's hard telling. Um, This is kind of an interesting fact, too, because I had it in my notes. I believe I took them out, though, but I'll, I'll mention it really quick. This is right around the same time that Jim uh, Jim Crockett had purchased the UWF. So that's why you're getting a lot of this UWF talent kind of flowing through here. So this is 87. So about, you know, the end, 
towards middle to end of not 87 to 88. A lot of these UWF guys filter in, filter out. Um, but that's how we get Sting is around this time period. Terry Taylor, brother. Taylor, He's my the, man. He was the UWF television champion. I don't want to talk, talk about it. It's <laughs> not great. He's not, you know, I feel bad because he's not a terrible worker by any means at all. And he's still, he's had a job pretty much his entire career. Like he has worked for WWF. I believe he worked for TNA. I know he worked for WCW. Like he's still working with NXT. I believe he's still working with NXT. He's just got, he came across as a prick. If you ever see him in some of these, those like, was that a breaking ground, the WWE show where they had, they were following the NXT people. He kind of came across as a dick, but He's been around the business a whole lot, and he's of course he's been shit on with the Red Rooster stuff, and he's heard that his whole damn career. So I could see why Terry Taylor could be sort of a prick. Yeah, bear with me, guys. Uh, I'm hearing some heavy winds already picking up, Travis. Uh, I know we're supposed to get some heavy winds all night, and I know you were worried about losing power. So uh, just bear with us, just in case, guys. Just giving you a heads up, Travis. Before we roll on through and start watching this match, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with you. Next Generation Wrestling is an independent wrestling organization that runs professional wrestling shows in East Tennessee. We have been running shows since 2014 and have featured talented independent wrestlers from all over the world, with our shows being featured primarily on High Spots TV. Follow us on all social media platforms at NextGenTN to find out about upcoming shows. Hello, Wrestling Recommendations listeners. My name is Brian, one half of the Wrestling Purist Podcast, alongside my tag team partner and best friend, Jeff. We are the Wrestling Purists, two guys who share a love for the sport of professional wrestling and have been podcasting since 2020. Our flagship series, The Retro Review, is where we take a show from the past, bring it to the present, and cover it through the lens of a wrestling purist. We also have Pure Talk, an interview series where we welcome talent to the pod to talk all things professional wrestling. We can't talk about our pod and not mention The Shoot, a series where we get together with our good friends, Eddie and Travis, from right here at Wrestling Recommendations and shoot on whatever needs to be shot on. You can listen to us on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are available. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and all social media outlets at WPPod1. All direct links and more are available at our website, linktree.com slash WPPod1. Come give us a listen as we give a pure take on professional wrestling. And we are back, guys. Uh, We were just talking about the weather, and all of a sudden I hear heavy rain and heavy winds. It sounds like sleet. So if you hear it in the background, bear with us. Uh, Travis, are you ready to watch this match? As Tony Khan's eyes gleam at us? I don't like it. He's ready. I'm ready. He's ready. Let's do this. So guys, we found this match on YouTube. Uh, shout out to my brother who got me on his family plan with YouTube without me even asking. But now I have YouTube. I don't know what the fuck it's called. I have YouTube where I doesn't have ads. So we can watch this with no Activia, no StreamYard commercials. I'm really thrilled about that. Um, Travis, are you ready? Let's do it. All righty, guys. If you want to watch along with us, you can. Um, like I said, we're, this is on YouTube, so you can go back and watch this. Uh, we're going to go ahead and kind of get rolling here. Uh, I'm going to say three, two, one, and play. 
Here we also, go, baby. Goddamn Earl Hebner has to be a part of this shit. Oh, fuck, I know. Look at that. Robert Stone little kick there. Man, I fucking love me some Sweet Stan Lane and Bobby. They are a great fucking tag team. He's getting pissed about that kick. Look at that stash. Goddamn right. wonder how many of those he's rubbed off with the muff just riding his face. I like my Stan Lane with a beard. <laughs> no, I'm just going to say, if, if people don't know, Sweet Stan Lane is a is a very notable ladies' man. Apparently, uh, Cactus Jack used to put a uh, glass up to the wall and listen to uh, the uh, sexual moans of women through the wall that Stan Lane was pleasuring. You know, I don't know if we ever... Did we ever talk about the whole Lauren Boebert thing on podcast? No, I can't remember if we not. did. We have not. No, so, like, the whole, like, story was Lauren Boebert, who's a cuck, by the way. I'm not a fan of her at all. She's a dumb bitch. That's just mean. And we don't even talk politics on here. But <laughs> there was, like, a thing that, like, her mom swore up and down that she would had been fucking Stan Lane and that Lauren was Stan Lane's daughter. And they were, like, badgering them for fucking, like, paternity tests and shit. Stan's like, I don't fucking know you guys. If I did, now, I'm not going to admit it. He may rat. How many rats he may have, did he fuck he may, have, <laughs> he may have fucked her mom. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, that's not what we're saying here. But it's just fucking fun. It's not how you did it. It's how many. Just going to say that oh, right yeah. now. That's, that's how, every time I see him, it's all I think about. It's like, Lauren Bober. That's fucking hilarious. He wasn't, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't counting it down back in the day. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, we got beautiful Bobby. Sorely miss, man. We miss fucking Bobby Eaton. He... We good? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of froze up for a second. But I was saying, Bobby Eaton, he he was just known for bumping his ass off and, and making everybody look as good as possible. Well, that and, like, he's severely underrated. I know we talked about that on our uh, Arn uh, Bobby Eaton match where it was for the television title. Was it Super Brawl 1? I want to say that is. The, it, it is. It was. But, um, but yes, sorely missed, man. It, he did, he wasn't like a body guy or anything, but he was just so good in the ring. And in this match, he's really damn good too. But again, it's the Midnight Express versus the Rock and Roll Express. They've probably done this three three hundred times at this point. Yeah, like the chemistry between these two tag teams, it's like unmatched. Uh, I would almost say that this is probably one of the best tag team feuds of the eighties. Like, um, I mean, growing up, I'm even you know in the early 90s into the 90s i watched a lot of wwf so even some of the earlier stuff big fan of a lot of those teams around the late 80s uh like heart foundation we'll talk about them here in a little bit um but i never really got to fully enjoy the rock and roll express and the midnight express till i got older and i think i'm kind of glad i did because i've really appreciated it watching it older well and that's me too because i feel like back then i'd have been like as a kid I'd be like, who are these guys like they just look like my uncle or you know, Sweet Stan didn't, but, like, Bobby kind of did. And, I mean, my sister and my brother were big NWA fans growing up in the in the 80s. My sister had a Rock and Roll Express t-shirt. But um, my thing was, it's like, I don't think I'd fully appreciate them because I didn't. Of course, as a kid, you don't un understand the psychology of wrestling unless you're Tony fucking Khan, apparently. Um, and I was totally into, like, the Heart Foundation, Demolition, LOD, like, all that stuff when they were in WWF because, I mean... Honestly, I would see NWA, but it wasn't as flashy and, and it didn't catch my eye as a kid um, like it does now that I more appreciate what wrestling is. Um, I was totally a WWF kid growing up. 
Yeah, I, and so was I. I mean, a lot of my uncles um, and my brother, you know, my brother's 13 years older than me. Um, they grew up watching a lot of the NWA stuff. So I, when we talked about it, they were huge, one, uh, big, they were huge fans of the uh, the fabulous ones uh, and, the, and the fantastics, Tommy, uh, Tommy Rogers and um, Bobby Fulton. And um, of course, the, the Freebirds, you know, they were big fans of them. I mean, I can still remember them singing Bad Street back in the, you know, when I was a little kid. So uh, nasty and hot, but they, uh, I just, I don't know. I mean, I always just grew up watching the WWF. So, you know, being older, going, getting a lot of these, you know, with WWF getting the tape library, being able to watch these things and kind of, you know, dissect them. I'm like, man, this is really fucking great. And Sweet stand there. We're not really talking about the match. Sweet Stan just did a great spot there. It was amazing. He was saying that that Ricky was pulling his tights, and then while he did that, he he pulled his hair, uh, pulled Ricky's hair, and pulled him down. Did it again right there. Ref didn't see yeah. it. And, and that, that's the beauty of like more stuff in this era of NWA. Like the way they cheated and did things. Like it was, they like it was like look over here while I do this. And WWF wasn't really doing a whole lot of that at the time. And yeah, if they did, Bobby's it was, bumping his ass off more of a manager uh distracting which shout out to the fact that uh jim Cornette is not at ringside during this match apparently yeah he is not apparently the uh, rock and roll Kate, express had put him in a figure four or something and hurt his leg the week before that's why i wasn't here shout out to channel 58 ksch tv in sacramento for giving us this footage damn right stockton yeah so a lot of this um a lot of this worldwide wrestling a lot of these the action is from hot the- they they filmed all of these some of these matches from the tours and they aired them on their like their weekly syndicated television. So worldwide wrestling is getting this match right here, uh, and we're back. And he's got them in a nice leg lock here. I I do love the fact that they left these little commercial bumpers in there because like there's like the action is hot. Don't go away. Stuff like that. So don't go I, away. Stay tuned. I, and the music <laughs> like the music that's with it. It's a fucking amazing. It's very eighties like. I do like the fact that Ricky Morton's trying to be a cocky ass here until uh, Bobby Bobby Eaton to break it up if he wants to. Come on in here. Like, come on, Bobby. Come on, Bobby. Shout out to Punky. I love Punky. Uh, around this time frame, Travis, PWI would have their list of top tag teams. You know, they would do it every in their monthly issue. Um, this time frame, it was the December 87 issue, but it was it ended, like the time frame ended for August. So mm. top tag, top 10 tag teams. Dino Bravo and Greg Valentine at number 10. Number nine, the Fantastics, Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton. We're just talking about them. Number eight, the Sheep Herders, Luke and Butch. Uh, I actually love me some Sheep Herders. They're pretty fucking awesome. And violent for the time. Super ultra violent. Number seven, Brad Armstrong and Tim Horner. Number six, the British Bulldogs. There you go. Number five, Arn and Tolly. Four, Midnight Express. Three, Rock and Roll Express. Two, the Heart Foundation. And number one, the Road Warriors. It's, it's weird that, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good top four there. I'm not going to lie. It's pretty, pretty stout list there. Dino Bravo and Greg Valentine doesn't deserve to be on that list. And where the hell was Tim Horner and Brad Armstrong doing at the time that constituted being number six? You know, I was gonna look it up, and I was like, you know what? I'm like, I don't even want to. I don't even really want to do it, so I'm not going to. Uh, I, I will have to say this too: we, we've not really said talking about the match. Um, stands in the ring, and Ricky and Robert keep pulling him towards you know their corner and working his leg over. 
I just feel like, man, it's tag team wrestling at its fucking best. Like, like you said, monkey flip, and he caught the leg. That was fucking slick yeah. and sleek. Holy shit. Well, and, and like it's not really anything flashy, but it's very much puts over the fact that these guys know each other. Like he did the monkey flip, held onto the leg. Like, and and usually, and and this may be something that's really cool about this match to people. It's usually the heels that are doing this to the baby faces. The baby faces are working over the heels here in the way that they would normally get worked over. So that that's a cool little twist on this match. Earl, get the fuck out of the camera shot. Like Ricky's face, he had a lot of like a lot of anger and stuff in his face and look at it look at it look at stan sell the leg i love it well this is the blood feud man uh, they took out cornet before the start of this tour so they could have a more even advantage and just yeah, just think man how many shows they had on this tour and these guys probably worked 75 percent of them against each other it, going through cage match there was a lot of these matches this match was the highest rated one so when we got last week when it pulled up on our list i wasn't exactly sure which match from the tour it was from this was the higher rated match, so I figured, and, and we found it immediately. So we went ahead and we we chose this match, and I'm not disappointed by it, man. I actually I'm I'm a big fan of it. Um, like you were saying, Cornette is out. They uh, they put Ricky, I believe Ricky put him in a uh, in like some kind of submission hold, and um, look at it that took drop Cornette out. That right was beautiful. Bobby's leg, just good shit, man. Uh, and now now they're now he's trying to work over Bobby's leg, which is. I don't know, man. It, it's just cool to see the roles reversed because most of the time you would see the the like the Rock and Roll Express are known for their selling ability. So I just thought that was a nice twist on the match. Yeah, I like an Earl getting in the in the way of the match. Fucking Earl. He needs to put he needs to put that taco meat up, man. That V neck is way too low for Earl Hebner. Just saying, way too low. Here we go, man. Ricky's gonna come at him. Tope suicide in eighty seven. It looked fucking oh. cool. Crowd fucking popped. Right into that guardrail where Chubby McGee down there had his foot on it. Surprised he didn't break an ankle. If you get and a then, chance, watch this, guys, with the audio up. Um, of course, we didn't talk about who's on commentary either, Travis. We had a, a, a nice, coiffed, mulleted, mustached Tony Schiavone and um, David, Cro uh, David Crockett. This exciting commentary. match will continue. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> I, I was – I was it, and, man, if no one else – David Crockett reminds me of almost of like a Vince McMahon on commentary. He may not be the best commentator, but boy, is he fucking excited and he knows where the shit's going. So he's driving that ship. Um, Tony and, and, and uh, David Crockett make a great pairing. It was weird later when they do like, uh, if you guys continue to watch the match, they do some after the match stuff where they talk and one, one section of it is Tony and Bob Cottle. And then they go right back. Then they go back again to, Tony and David Crockett, and I think Tony's wearing different clothes, so it, you could definitely tell they oh, weren't worried about the editing back in the day. They were doing a test of strength. Ricky climbs Bobby, stands on his shoulders, and jumps off his shoulders and, and, and blasts them. And it's innovative offense, man. I just, I really enjoy watching Ricky and Robert. And you know, here's the thing you know, we always, you know, it's always joked about, oh, beautiful knee. Uh, it's always joked about, Who's the Marty? Who's the Sean? I truly believe Ricky and Robert were both influential of the team. It, oh. No, I, to me, one was not better than the other. Personally, well, Ricky's selling ability was there, but they both are, are an equal part of the team. Well, you could tell that when they tried to split them up in the early '90s. Like one is not good without the other. I'm sorry, Richard Morton, Blue Dick. 
Um, they, the Midnight's just dropped Robert on the guard rail, and he sold that like a ton of bricks, man. Like, Well, even the knee to the back and to the outside, he sold. It looked amazing. And I, I just – I think this is stuff people – we don't see it anymore where everything means something. And this, you know, just jamming a guy in the back of the of, in the back with a knee – led to all of this and it's just like they're selling it and i just wish sometimes you know i love high spots i think there's a, a place for it but i wish there were more wrestling matches like this well and the problem is now with the wrestling like you can't take somebody and drop them across the guardrail and it mean as much as it did in this match because everything's been done now to an extent like a guardrail shot now doesn't mean as much as it did in the 80s because that was meant to incapacitate somebody hell somebody's taking a guardrail shot now and then doing a fucking flip de do off the top rope 30 seconds later like it, it's just not not the same i do like that those reversals on the small packages there and and i guys i know we talk about the fans are into everything they're doing on this and i like this they're, they're double teaming and ricky comes in the ring and tries to break it up look look how hot it is switch hot it oh. is in this place dude oh the karate kicks jesus christ stan lane's got a black belt um but look how hot fucking Earl Henry is, man. Like he's like sweating profusely. This building must fucking blow. Um, and they it's in Landover, Maryland. <laughs> All right, Cody Ford. Better turn that on <laughs> in the armor. Yeah, man, that was a beautiful swinging neck breaker. Swinging neck breaker. Man, look, Stan Lane is fucking jacked here, man. Stan's like a man, son. He freaking oh, I love that face rake. Robert sells it great. What do you think? What do you think of their gear? I, which one the the uh the midnight. midnight i don't know man like they they have matching colors but it's almost like the the i don't know they just don't really match if that makes sense because like bobby's half white half red then stan's just got the red tights with the yellow knee pads and then white boots like they never really had matchy gear until later where they had the stripes on their tights and stuff so this doesn't just didn't feel like their best effort on their gear Rock and Roll Express, though, 10 out of 10. Love 10 the, uh, always. The, the bandanas, their gear matched. Like, you knew what you were getting when they came through the curtain. Their jackets when they came out. We didn't watch the entrances, but they're very much like a team. Sometimes the Midnights, especially around this era, didn't necessarily look like they planned their gear out to match each other. No. Uh, we, we did miss uh, the amazing entrance theme song of the Midnight Express. It is fucking amazing. Backbreaker there was beautiful too. Ricky's getting frustrated and it stands running around. They did pull the old switcheroo. Bobby's in there now. He threw him over the top rope. That's a disqualification. Oh, look at the way oh, he sold it. Sold it. Yeah. Oh. And the fact of it is, man, that looks amazing. They put that over on commentary so hard too. Like he threw him over the top rope. That'd be a disqualification. And now he's like holding on to the ring like he broke both his knees. Like you don't oh see my that God. anymore either on the sale job. And Bobby, oh. and Bobby just kicks him. That's amazing. Get down, you son of a bitch. Oh, man. He, he, he really pushed his shit in right there. Fucking, yeah, fucking, <laughs> fucking Alex it. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I have to share that clip here a little bit. It was fucking funny. It made me laugh. Oh, man. But just selling that there, man. Like, you're not going to see that anymore. Rup, Ricky Pesci. He's trying to get the cable. Well, he's had, He has the cable, and he was choking uh, Robert with it. He's like, Robert, get back in the ring. Fucking look out, Earl, look pay attention, you son of a bitch. He went over the other side. You know, uh, I love the fact that um, Ricky looks amazing. Like, he's so young here. Like, I mean, I'm so used to seeing Ricky now that it's, it's just amazing. He's like, come on, Robert, get back in the ring. Um, Travis and 
threw him over twice though, and that's the funny thing about it is like Earl didn't see either one. Guess why not? Because it's fucking Earl Hebner. <laughs> fucking, he only sees what he wants to see. Fucking, Dave wouldn't have. Dave wouldn't have done this. Um, we we talked about. Uh, on cagematch.net, we always use the, uh, you know, just them as a rating system. Um, we're not like Tony Khan. It's not like our, we believe everything that's there. We use it as just a parameter of what we're watching. Um, and normally we do Lene's Mountie Mark, beautiful uh, backslide or uh, roll up there. Um, but this week, there's not a Lene's Mountie Mark. There was uh, only a few um, reviews on this. I think the lowest review was an eight. Look, who, so, look who's um, at the uh, ringside right there. It's Bill Abner with his Pro Wrestling Illustrated shirt on. I see him with the red there. Yep. Excitement continues, yep. baby. <laughs> but what do you think cagematch.net users rated this match? 8.7. Close. Oh, 8. shit. 8.57 out of 10. So very, very close. Yeah. I mean, and I believe that's right around where the rating should be no offense um, pretty much every, universal um between other people that did review this match um they they tout this as one of the best tag team feuds ever and yeah. it's hard to argue that oh yeah it, it definitely is one of the best tag team feuds of all time and that's what's still talked about now that's i mean no offense but they built their Ooh. career off of each other and the reunion shows and stuff they had in their early 2000s they weren't the same guys but people wanted to see them because that's the feud but you know, that's that's just they're, they're intertwined. Like it's just like the the Dudley's Edge of Christian and the Hardys. And like they're they're intertwined because that was their best work was against these guys. Don't get me wrong, their their feuds against the Fantastics and Fabulous Ones and stuff like that are great too. But these two are their peanut butter to each other's jelly, essentially. Like they could go out there and wrestle blind, blindfolded now and still have a great match if everyone was still able to work. Here we go. We're about rolling to the finish here. Oh, Double drop kick, bump. which was their finisher. Uh, Bobby just got knocked in Earl Hebner. Earl Hebner went out there. Tony is on commentary. Like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's got him beaten. And um, we're going to see Earl's a familiar down. face pop in here. Earl's down. Up oh, Here's Big here he Bubba. David Bubba, Crockett. Dude, Ray Trailer is fucking huge here. He is he is a big boy. We're about nice to get a fedora. boss man slam. He nails oh. it with the fedora on. He loses it on the slam. <laughs> he man, it's it is incredible to see, and he's, he pulls Bobby on top. He's trying to find Earl, and sure. Stan is still holding the foot of, of Robert. Robert's like, like oh my fucking foot! Here's the thing: he could slam Ricky Morton and not lose his hat until the very end, but he couldn't catch Jim Cornette. Where he didn't break his legs. This is one, two. Earl counts the three. The crowd oh, actually no. pops. They it's it's like a mixture, but they they like. They're it's one of the tag change. teams that are so bad that they that they are they're over, and they think that they've won the NWA World Tag Team Championships here. They're raising Girls. the hands. The crowd's like, "What the fuck? Look at these people! Look at these dudes in the front row, man! They're popping." Well, a title change, man. Like you got to think that's exciting for someone to see. It would have made sense on this tour because they're going to wrestle so much. But Earl, of course, missed something else because you know Earl can't see for shit. And and we're getting another referee who's explaining what happened. Yep, he's explaining what happened. He tells them that they're not the champions. Like they cheated, pretty much. Good old. He's like, Stan, did you cheat? He goes, no. Put your fucking hand down. You son of a bitch. Yeah. So they won by disqualification. Really quick, Travis. I I want to talk about this uh, as we let the match roll through here in a second. Actually, 
yeah, we'll let the match continue to roll here. They get a special interview when they return. Um, Mizzle Assault Ant wrote, 10 out of 10, another chapter in an all-time classic rivalry between the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express. One of the greatest tag team rivalries ever. They're fighting on the 87 Great American Bash Tour from when the event was not a single pay-per-view but a whole month loaded of shows across the country. These two teams show absolutely brilliant chemistry as always. Eaton and Lane are just wonderful wrestlers, and Ricky Morton's hot tag is to die for. Plus, he gets a dive that would be cool even if it was done today, which sent Eaton crashing nearly through the metal guardrail. The ending is expected for the era. Things get messy as we get a ref bump, and Big Bud Rogers shows up to attack the Rock and Roll, Exp- Rock and Roll Express. It appears the Midnight Express have stolen the match and the tag titles until the referee is alerted uh, to the uh, chicanery and the DQ is thrown out instead. Even so, brilliantly fun match. I love it. I I mean, it's a good review, but I can't give this match 10 out of 10. I I, I just can't because the non-finish hurts it for me. The lack of cornet hurts it for me. Um but overall, the match itself is great. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I mean, I thought the match was great. The ending, though, does not make this a 10 out of 10 for me. Just because, I mean, I almost would have rather seen the the Midnights sneakily get the win somehow. And then they lose the belts back to them on this tour. That would have been cool. Um, but I, 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 I'm with the cage match users, man. I would give it a good, you know, 8.5 to an 8.8. I think the, the ending hurts it. I mean, the crowd's into it. Don't get me wrong, but like to for for it to be a perfect ten and there not to be a finish and stuff, I, I can't give it a ten. I, I just can't. And Cornette would have added to this match more. Oh, Cornette would definitely would have added to this match. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of fast forward it here. Um, I want to share this after match promo with you guys because I so believe great. it is one of it is one of the best promos um, without Corny for these guys. Uh, I'm gonna turn the volume up. So here we go. I'm a good Christian talent, just like they are. <laughs> Here we go. Let's right to this. Listen to this. Let me tell you something, David Crockett, being the paramount national announcer you are. I know there's one question that you're dying to ask me and Bobby, and that's how does it feel to be the new world tag team champions? No. I go ahead and ask us that. You're not. Ask us. We are the champions just because some wino referee the broken nose is not here. <laughs> he had no business. He was not sanctioned to be in this match. These steps it at all. And I know you're wondering if we did it for all the thousands and thousands of people that write to us every week on national TV. I know you're wondering if we did it for all the people that are sick of the shut-ins that love us so much. You know, Bobby and myself are role models for American Youth. We're Christian athletes. I know you're wondering if we did it for all the civic organizations, the Boy Scout troops that call us and want us to speak to them. But no, we didn't do it for any of those people, David Crockett. We did it for just two people. Two people in this whole wide world. And one of them right now, and it upsets both of us to even think about it. One of them is lying prone on his back right now in a hospital bed. I'm talking about our dear beloved manager, Jim Cornette. A man, David, who's never even attempted to be an athlete. All he does is give us spiritual guidance. He gives 80% of his gross earnings to charity. He co-wrote We Are The World. He's a good, good Christian Sorry. human being. And the Rock and Roll Express jumped him last <laughs> week, put an illegal leg lock on his leg. And he's in traction right now. And his mother, God rest her soul, she's about to beside him, holding his hand. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it for them. Them. We're the new world champions. Forget it. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back. I wrote, we are the world. Right after this. So fucking good. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. It was amazing. 
Good Christian athletes, boys. Good Christian athletes. Which is crazy oh, to say about so Cornette, because if you know him now, he's like, he's a fucking atheist. <laughs> That's even better. It's, just fu- it's so funny. Uh, he, talk about, he talks about the Boy Scouts. When he said that he gives 80% of his paychecks to charity, and then he said he co-wrote We Are the World, I fucking lost it. I sent you the clip I was, when I watched it the first time. Oh, Tony Khan. He's so, <laughs> so angry. We talked about Cornette. Oh man. So Travis, you, you said you rated this match about an eight point eight. Yeah, that's what right. I would give it. I mean, I, I, I enjoy the match. I think it's really good. I, I, I do believe if there'd have been a clear finish, I would have rated it higher. And if Cornette would have been there, I mean I love some Jim Cornette. Uh, and I think he would have added to this match um in some of these spots. So it is cool to see what they did without Cornette, but I'm just a stickler for Cornette with the Midnights. So um I, I go eight point seven five, eight point eight on that one, on this one. Yeah, uh, I'd say 8.75. A great fucking tag team match. Everything meant something. Uh, you had your high spots. You had your innovative spots. You had and your karate the, kicks from Stan Lane. That's a seven right there just because of the karate kicks. And the selling, man. Just the, the over the, when he threw him over the top rope, it looked like it fucking killed him. It broke his, he like crumbled. Robert Gibson, his legs like crumbled underneath him. It looked fucking cool. Yeah, I, I was a big fan of the selling and stuff of this match. So, I mean, it's worth a it is worth a watch for anybody that's never seen it. Um, and, and especially, man, if you've never seen these two teams work against each other, you're missing out. I mean, and this is just tip of the iceberg of what they do with each other. So um be sure to check that out and, and go down a rabbit hole. Find some more of these guys. Find them with Cornette. Um, find them versus the fabulous ones, find them versus Fantastics. I mean, it's just, you know, good stuff. There's good tag teams all around. Um, we're going to jump into the aftermath, Travis. The Rock and Roll Express would hold on to the NWA World Tag Team Championships for 126 days, losing the straps to Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard on September 29, 1987. This match was a no-disqualification match and would see the Midnight Express attack the Rock and Roll Express on their way to the ring, injuring Ricky Morton. Robert Gibson wrestled most of the match, but when an injured Ricky Morton returned to the ring, he was immediately put into a submission hold by Tully Blanchard. Gibson surrendered rather than risk further injury to Morton. What does that remind you of? Just, uh, oh, you put me on the spot here. NXT. Yeah, you're right. NXT. I do. Yeah. Go ahead. Hit me with it. With Undisputed Era and Mustache Mountain, um, yep. they were working over Trent Seven's leg, and he, he ended up having to throw the uh, – Tyler Bate through the towel in. So um, def- definitely recreated that moment. And um, it, it they, you know, aren't totally tag champs. Oh, we didn't talk about it, by the way. Um, NWA world tag titles. Those are my favorite. Fo- they're up there. And like my top three tag titles of all time. I love those fucking belts. They are. They are gorgeous. I just, when we were watching that promo, I was looking at those belts because they are, they're super, they're not talked about enough. They're underrated. Um, I still think, those WWF tag titles are my favorite. The old classics from like 80, was it like 85 to 97? Yeah, something or, like that. Yeah, something like that. Those those are still my favorite ones, but those NWA ones rule. Um, and, and when TNA brought those back and used them, you know, as the NWA tag titles, uh, I thought that was fucking awesome too. 
I agree. They're one of my favorite incarnations of tag title belts. Like I said, top three easily. Um, as 1988 began, the Rock and Roll Express entered into a feud with the Sheep Herders. On January 23rd, 1988 in Cincinnati, Ivan Koloff and the Warlord defeated the Rock and Roll Express in 12 seconds with Morton and Gibson leaving the company after the match. After a several-month absence, Ricky and Robert did an interview with Bob Cottle at Clash of the Champions 2, where they discussed returning to the NWA. One of your hottest acts, baby. They were on their way out. You make them lose in 12 fucking seconds. It's great. I mean, that's, that's good, such Explain good it. shit. That's a, that's a WWF or WWE booking from under Vince McMahon. It just tells you how butthurt they were about that. It just fucking blew me away. Um, around that same time, too, um, I believe it's in 80... Uh, might have been around this time, yeah. Uh, they start having matches with the, uh, the the Midnight Rockers in the AWA. Uh, and mm. I started thinking about that. Like, I need to look some of those matches up, because I guarantee you some of those matches are really fucking good. Oh, no doubt. I mean, it, no doubt that uh, the Midnight Rockers got some of their inspiration from them as well. So uh, the fact that those matches probably out there somewhere, they would be a sight to see. Yeah, we need to do some digging for that one. Um, the Midnight Express would hold on to the U.S. tag titles for 346 days, losing them on April 26, 1988, to the Fantastics. Great fucking tag team. On June 26, 1988, at the start of the Great American Bash Tour, Ricky and Robert defeated the Sheep Herders in their return match. They won several more matches against the Sheep Herders as well as a few others until a pay dispute led to Robert Gibson to <laughs> Jim Crockett Promotions again in late July. Goddamn what pay disputes. Fuck? Fucking pay your pay your most over tag team. What the fuck, man? Make it work. Yeah. Ricky Morton stayed on and wrestled singles matches as well as tag team and six-man tag matches with a variety of partners. Morton would have his last match on September 23rd, 1988, before leaving Jim Crockett Promotions again as well. It's hard to believe it, man. Like, Start, stop, I mean, start, stop. And this is around the time that they, they leave and they end up having matches with the Midnight Rockers. Um, also, uh, around this time, Arn and Tully get beaten by... Uh, the Midnight Express and Arn and Tully go to the WWF. Yeah, they pretty much hot shot of that feud because they were building to it. And the Cornets talked about heels. that. Talked about how like people wanted to see it, and then like they just pretty much did it out of fucking did it out of nowhere because those guys were leaving. They wouldn't give them the proper build or 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 continue out that feud to the end, and uh, they left a lot of money on the table there. I mean, this is a tumultuous time for Jim Crockett because they're getting getting ready to be sold to Turner and like they're they don't know what to do at this point I mean and, and people are jumping ship and it's just a wild time yeah and in retrospect thinking about it now that's probably the reason why they let them go is because they really couldn't afford them sounds like somebody like else Arn, you know. Arn, Arn and Tully um the rock the rock and roll express they're both gone and um this tag team era, like I, I, I kind of put a pin in all of this. The tag team era of the late '80s, fucking fantastic, man. The wrestling was top notch, and the teams were fucking great. They're getting ready to push the Mulkey Brothers, baby. The Mulkey Brothers, Moondog Spot, Moondog Rex, and the Mulkey Brothers. Oh man, <laughs> fucking love that. It's good shit. So guys, onward and upward. So we're now on to the next week's episode. If you guys are new to the podcast, this is how we. Uh, select our next week's match myself and travis we kind of talked about throughout the podcast 
but we have a list of matches, our wrestling recommendations that we think are pretty awesome. They're pretty good. We've had uh, a couple of our buddies, uh, Scott, Eric, uh, Brandon, um, reach out to us, say, Hey, this match was pretty good. We have the peers guys adding matches, you know, to the list that they think is pretty good as well. We look at them, we add them to the list. We think if we think they're good and, um, we put them on the list. Uh, what we do is we take that whole list. These matches range from 1978 to uh, Wrestle Kingdom that just happened um, with a variety of promotions, WWE, WWF, WCW, NWA, TNA, AEW, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, NGW, the show I'm involved with. Uh, we have some bangers on there as well. Um, it kind of it's, it's a good variety. So what we do is we take that list, we put it into the Will of Names, the Will of Destiny, and uh, we shuffle it and spin it. Whatever it lands on, that's the match we cover next week. So it's always a surprise to us. Uh, we've never kind of fudged this. It is a shoot. It is 100% real. Um, sometimes we get stuff that we really want to cover. Sometimes it's stuff we're like, oh. And then it turns out to be really good. Yeah. Um, so, Travis, what do you think we're getting this week? I am going to go uh, 2010's WWE. Ooh, I am going to say 96 WCW. Don't know why. Come on, let's do it. 96 WCW. I'll I'll take it. I'm going to spin it. 318 matches still on the list, Travis. Oh, we got some more to add. I'm pretty sure we could add uh, Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre from Raw a couple weeks ago, too. Great match. So you were kind of close. Ooh, it's kind of close. Okay. So shout out to our buddies over at the Wrestling Purist podcast because we actually covered this pay-per-view and I was involved with this one. 2002. Hmm, 2002. SummerSlam, 2002. It is SummerSlam. Title or no title? No title. Is it Sean Triple H? It is not Sean Triple H. Oh, shit. Sean Triple H. Huh. Opener. Oh, it's uh, Kurt Angle Ray. Kurt Angle and Ray Mysterio oh. from SummerSlam 02, man. By far Stacked. one of the, the best openers to SummerSlam. It's up there. It's one of the best SummerSlams of all time, too. Like, there's so much on there. Like, when you said that at first, my first match I think of that's non title is Sean Triple H. But this is the match where Ray's in all silver, and it's kind of weird. Am I right? Is he all he's in all silver in this match, right? I believe it's this one, yes. Yeah. So, like, I mean, this is this is definitely tells you they're gonna push Ray Mysterio to the moon, essentially, because they're putting him in there with Kurt Angle to open their second. Well, at the time, I guess they would consider this their second biggest show of the year. Um, it's it's kind of a toss up with that in Royal Rumble. So um, but yeah, man, just a great match. It's a different style for Kurt Angle to work. Gotta think he didn't work a lot of guys smaller than him like this, so mm-hmm. um you get to see how versatile Kurt Angle is. You get to see how versatile Rey Mysterio can be. And it's also a huge platform against the main eventer for Rey Mysterio to prove himself and show you that he can be a part of that elite top. And it's also some of the SmackDown 6 that we've talked about yeah. before, too. So That's exactly uh, what I was going to say. The SmackDown 6, baby. Can't go wrong with that at all. I'm so I'm so excited. Uh, I love uh, some Kurt Angle. Uh, I love this match. This show is really good. It is very, uh, it's arguably one of the best SummerSlam cards ever uh, from top to bottom. Um, there's a few matches that are, uh, um, but this time period, man, Ruthless Aggression Era is full swing right here. This is almost the start of it, if you really want to think about it. 
Yeah, because there's that weird transition from the whole alliance versus WWF until this era starts kicking off. Like it's that WrestleMania 18 that we kind of don't know what to do kind of thing. But um, they have they figured it out around this time, and I think the addition of people like Rey Mysterio, Shawn Michaels, um, back into the roster helped bolster it, get eyes new and old back on the product and the SmackDown, honestly, at the time was probably the sub- superior show, more wrestling to it. But then you had Triple H on Raw with his whole angles and stuff. So it's a great time to be a fan. I think it, the Ruthless Aggression era is slept on more than it should be because you hear about the Attitude Era all the time. But that era from about 02, middle of 02 to 2006 um, is I would even really, say seven. Yeah, it was really good. So, um, yeah. yeah, really quick. So so speaking of that, um, I've kind of had some time to reflect on that. And to me, as a wrestling fan growing up, the Ruthless Aggression era is probably my personal favorite era just because I was so deep within all of it. Like mm-hmm. I enjoyed the Attitude Era, of course. And then I was, you know, the goal or not the goal, never the new generation. Um, but recently I got into an argument with somebody on TikTok. Uh, they posted a picture uh, or a, a video of, I think it's like, this is awesome. It's like the little show they do on Peacock where it's like, oh, they're, they're talking about the Rumble and Sean entering number one in 95. The first person to say anything, it's JBL. And he says in 95, they had one of the best rosters ever. And I was like, it's comical. That's a lie. Yeah. I mean, it was not. And someone argued with me and they said, what are you talking about? And I went through, I said, the Blue Brothers, Mantar, well, well done, done, the Bushwhackers, Moe Mabel. Crush. And I was like, Duke the Dumpster Drosy. Aldo Montoya. Dude, Aldo Montoya. They're all in the 95 for a rumble. And he was like, then what is your favorite, you know, time frame for wrestling? And I have to say it's ruthless aggression because I feel like they could, um, you could almost pluck anybody during that time frame in ruthless aggression era. And you could make them a main event star. They did yeah. it with JBL. JBL was a fucking main eventer. Yep. You could do it. I mean, they even, Bill, even Bubba Ray Dudley was wrestling Triple H in the main events on Raw. Shelton Benjamin became Shelton a star. Benjamin. Um, Batista, Randy Orton, all these guys that started off with like shitty gimmicks ended up becoming legends of people that still carry the company on their back today. So, um, yeah, man, like that whole ruthless aggression area is so is so influential and it, it slept on in my opinion, a whole bunch, well, but yeah, man, just, just touching that 95 rumble. Um, I just rewatched that with the wrestling purist. So JBL can go fuck himself because that rumble fucking blew dick. That's why it's the fastest rumble in history because and that's depth, what I told them. Yeah. They, there was I not that, a depth to hold that rumble together. So that's why it's the fastest paced rumble in history because it, there's no depth. There was, there's literally five guys in that match that could have fucking won the Rumble. Yeah, and the other guys that could have won the Rumble were in singles matches on the card. They weren't even in the Rumble, like The Undertaker, yeah. Razor Ramon, Razor. Jeff, Jar- Jeff Jarrett, uh, Bam Bam. Um, Fun fact, Scott Hall's never been in a Royal Rumble match. Yep, never been in a Rumble match. Um, it's just, I mean, it's just wild to me to think that somebody, I mean, I guess JBL's just trying to code the company line or code, toe the company line there, but just no go back watch that it's fucking god awful jbl wasn't even in that rumble so how could he fucking say that i believe he shows up at 90 the end of 95 does he not 
Yeah, but he's not in that Rumble. He's in the 96 no, he's not. Rumble. Yeah, he's I mean. 96 Rumble. So, regardless, uh, I'm really excited about this. Uh, I'm really excited to um, watch some more Kurt Angle and Rey Mysterio. We, we talked about on an old episode on the TLC uh, 2002 match on a Raw Roulette. We talked about how influential the year 2002 is. And to me, it is up there probably top three, four years of wrestling for influential what happened, you know, the next five to 10 years of what happened the rest of the year. Yeah. 97's up there. Uh, 02's up there. 96 um, too. 96 and 97 as well. Yeah. You could combine those two together almost. Um, you look at like 87. Um, even, even at this point, what 2013 was very good. I mean, this past year could be considered the influential year, maybe the year before into this year. Um, just with the amount of record business and stars they have made and, and pushed to new heights and Gunther and, and even Roman with his title run, Cody Rhodes, Seth Rollins, um, it, it, Gable was over huge for a little while. So there, there are some very influential years and, and not just in WWE, but in wrestling period, because you could throw WCW 96, 97 in with WWF 96, 97 and, and, and see that. So, um, man, it, it, to th- that ruthless aggression era has, has grown on me more and more the more we watch it. Like when we sat down and actually started thinking about what happened in those, especially O2, um, it's fucking crazy because you see a shift from what the WWF was doing to what they became. Like the year started out this point and ends on a completely different point. And it's, it's wild to see. Yeah, and cool thing about this match too is Rey Mysterio just debuts, I believe, in July, and this is in August. So it's it, it's right there at his debut. Uh, Kurt Angle um, is about to make a run with Benoit for the tag titles uh, to become the first ta- SmackDown tag champions. Uh, so there's a lot of fun stuff in in this SmackDown Six as well. Um, Travis, let's kind of polish this episode off, man. What you got for me? Oh, not much, man. No, just still selling stuff on eBay over there. TGL the Man Twelve. I have to melt out a bunch of shit when I get back because my store's been on away uh, for these last <laughs> 10 days or so. i uh, looking forward to boxing all that up, um, if you can't tell. Um, and shout out to the guys that WrestlePurist just said that we covered the Royal Rumble 1995. Again, uh, I got to dust off uh, Wrestling Ruined and listen to our old episode to kind of get myself ready for the Rumble. And uh, I realized that we were some pretty funny fuckers um <laughs> listening back to that so um it, it it's cool to go back and watch some of that but you realize how not great 1995 was trust me i have a huge more a huge uh appreciation for jeff jarrett in that year now more than i ever did um I remember, Backlund, man. yeah i remember watching back and in uh and I was just sitting there like, I used to give Jeff Jarrett so much shit, but he's one of the main guys putting on great matches that year. I mean, from Bret Hart to The Undertaker to Diesel, like he's Sean. on Raw watching these, wrestling these guys on fucking live TV for free. And he's putting on great matches. And he has that match with In Your House too with Sean that is tremendous as well. His matches with Razor all over the year were great. But, um, you know, shout out to those guys for that. Um, and always enjoy being with those guys on the podcast. It's it's a good time. Uh, Ryan, it, his internet crapped out for a little bit, so we, me and Jeff made fun of him for a while about that. So, um, 
good, good times hanging out with those brothers. But, and then just, you know, check out the guys, the ransom black lodge, you know, fuck you fat Tony, um, for talking shit about a seventh place matchup in fantasy football that no one gave a shit about. I didn't even set my lineup for one week. and still almost kicked your ass. So, you know, to each their own, if that's what you got to gloat about, then you you live a sad, pathetic life, sir. Maybe eat some more donuts, get a little bit fatter, so then you you will live up to the hype on your podcast with Brandon, who is a Canadian cuck. Um, who, uh, and you uh, you definitely have a uh, it's a insert uh, open your mouth insert balls here sign on your shirt because that's what all you do is gargle Brandon's balls. There you go, got that out there. Um, <laughs> also, fuck you, Eric. I'm wearing my AEW shirt for you. Um, he no one was more excited for our AEW episode than Eric, and uh, he can go fuck himself. Shout out to our good friend Scott. Um, I know he probably won't hear this, but if he gets whenever he comes back into the land of land of us, then uh, he will know that he was dearly missed and we were thinking about him. So, you know, just uh, send good vibes to uh, our friend Scott or as Brandon and the team over there at Rants call him the fat, fat fuck Scott. But, um, just uh, just a good brother going through a going through a little patch. So, you know, just think about that guy, send some positive vibes his way. And yeah, really um, quick, really quick. Scott's not like in jail or dead. I no, just no, sure no. People know that. no, he, he's, he's not in jail. <laughs> he might would thank you might want people to think he is in jail. Cause it's, that sounds a lot cooler, but, um, but yeah, just, you know, just, you know, take care of everybody and just, and you never know what people are going through, man. So just, uh, try to be a little kinder to people. I know I don't think, I don't think like that a lot, but just, uh, keep that in mind. And, you know, also, we give the rant guys shit, but we are appreciative to be in their magazine with our articles and stuff. So, and the and all the proceeds that go to charity, you can find that at uh, juicykruger.com or at Rants Black Lodge on Twitter. That'll give you the link to their webpage to buy that magazine and and look at our articles. New ones coming in springtime, so you know just keep an eye out for that. Support us, support them. Um, we got our podcast and start through those, uh, through Brandon with uh, Rants Black Lodge and stuff. So, you know, always, always appreciative of that guy. And, you know, uh, nothing but the best for those dudes, too. But that's about all I got this week. Absolutely, guys. If you can get a chance, go to our social media at uh, Wrestling Recommendations on TikTok and on our Facebook page where we do our watch along. Uh, feel free to uh, watch them. Episodes usually drop uh, on Saturdays. At 10 a.m., um, you can stream them. You can watch them. Didn't get copyright stricken for the yeah. AW match. Which I cannot believe what we did not. Honestly, Tony Cod's too worried about uh, Twitter wars with Eric Bischoff to uh, to to stop our podcast from showing his match. Free TV, so it's fine. It is it is the wildest thing. I was I kept waiting for it, waiting for it, and never got it. So uh, definitely go back and watch them. Um, most times, the newer stuff does get copyright stricken. I get it. It's whatever. Um, but definitely go back and watch those. Follow us on X slash Twitter at Wrestling Reckham, R-E-C-O-M-M. What you got for me, Travis? I see you smiling. It's not like he's got a streaming deal or anything, so no one can watch it anywhere else. So we're actually giving him some free publicity if they watch the match with us. You're, you're right. I mean, truthfully. <laughs> um, I had fun going. I had fun diving in deep with that match. Um, guys, NGW, um, really quick update on NGW. I've been talking with Cody, and now that football season's over, um, there's plans. I believe a, a bar show could be on the horizon. Um, we actually have a meeting uh, the day after we were doing this recording, uh, myself and Cody do, um, and going forward to figure out some things. So um, 
stay tuned. NGW news coming very, very soon as the new year starts. And as uh, it starts to get warmer out, you might see um, a bar show. Oh yeah. What, um, what, uh, happened to Jackson terminal? I know you said it was sold, but I didn't even know it was for sale. As far as I know, as far as I've been told the, the building that we've been running in Jackson terminal, which is an awesome fucking building. Uh, they have sold, to somebody else and they were, they were not sure that the new owners would want wrestling there. So mm-hmm. um, they do a lot of weddings and stuff like that. Um, I do know that they make a ton of money being there in food and drinks and whatnot. Um, but it really just depends on that. I know one of the places we've talked about and I talked about it with you was the mill and mine in the yep. old city. Um, that's one place that we've been talking about potentially running um, but at this point, we're kind of up in the air. That's what this meeting is going to kind of be about. So I'm really excited to, to kind of break some uh, ground and figure out what we're going to do uh, for 2024. Um, but yeah, follow NGW guys, NextGenTN on all social media platforms at NextGenTN. Until uh, next week, guys, we get to see some more Ruthless Aggression action with Kurt Angle and Rey Mysterio. I am Eddie and this is Travis and we will see you then. <laughs>